Good morning. Would y'all remain standing as we read from God's word? Listen as wisdom speaks to us um, about our words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. A gentle answer turns anger away, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. A person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. The tongue of the righteous is pure silver. The heart of the wicked is of little value. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The lips of the righteous know what is appropriate, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere observing the wicked and the good. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. The heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. Pleasant words are honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. A tongue, a word spoken at the right time is like golden apples in silver settings. One who rebukes a person will later find more favor than one who flatters with his tongue. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. The word of the Lord. We come to you right now and we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the fact that we have not been left here to wander on our own, but you have provided us words, Lord, not just words of direction as far as what we're to do, but words of affection, your love for us. Help us to be those that believe it, that, re- that are reminded that, Father, we're your children. There's nothing that we have to do to earn your love. You freely place it on us. I pray that we would rest in the security that that provides. Be with us as we hear from your word today. Make us glad, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Why don't y'all take your seats? Words are like airplanes. They take off. They fly around. I mean, they land. What you find out or what you know about an airplane is that as folks board it to go somewhere, the landing makes all the difference. The way that it lands can either help people get to where they want to go, or if it crashes, it can hurt them and it can 
harm them and where it is that they want to go. Um, airlines that have a history of crash landing, they go bankrupt. So Pan Am was the international leader in flights here from the U.S. until about 1988 when the plane was hijacked and it crashed and killed all 230 people on board. Transworld was next up until 1996. And as it left from JFK, it blew up shortly after takeoff, killed all the folks that are on board. If a plane crashes, it doesn't help anybody. But there are a lot of other airlines that take off, fly, and land right as they should, and those are profitable. And, and so I really just want this to set in, especially as we talk about this concept of, of words, is this, every time a plane takes off, their landing is a matter of life and death. And if God's word is true, the same is true with our words. Every time our words take off, it's a matter of life or death. Our words can fly around, but eventually they will land. And when they land, they'll harm or they'll heal. There's no in-between. Think of all the relationships that you know of that are, that are or have been harmed by one wrong word from the wrong person, at the wrong time. Think of all the relationships that you know that have been started or healed by the right word, at the right time. If we're ever going to be wise in this world, we have to know how to use our words, and I mean use our words to their perfection so that they produce something. We've talked about it for the past Six weeks that we've been here, Proverbs is a book about wisdom. Wisdom is about skillful living, that living is not just being normal. Wisdom has much more to do with you just being moral. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. We're reminded good character does not keep you from making bad choices. And when it comes to the choices that we make here in the world, when it comes to how we live, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, more important than the way that we use our words. How you use your words is a matter of life or death. In the book of Proverbs, um, it talks a whole lot about wisdom. The one topic that is mentioned more than any other in the book of Proverbs is words. So if you want to sit and hear everything that Proverbs has to say about words, give me three hours and I'll do that. But since I know y'all won't give me that time, I'll do the best that I can in 30 minutes, right? So I say all of that to say this is not going to be an exhaustive talk on words, but it is going to give what I feel like is the most important. Words. Our words are important, and if we're ever going to use them, in a way that heals, that brings value to the communities that we are a part of. I think that there's three things at least that we have to know about words that will lead us to use them perfectly. And the very first one is this. The first thing that we have to know is we have to know the potential that lies in words. The potential 
that lies in words. It's been said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will surely hurt you. There is potential. There is power. They are never just words. Potential is this, hidden power, dormant power. And if you don't factor in potential, you're going to be on the wrong side of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, about a year ago, my wife and I took our eight-month-old daughter to spend some time with friends out in Texas. And my friend held her as we were um, at a spot eat, 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 eating ramen. Um, and we told him, she's fast, she's quick, and he said, she's just a baby. And he said it until he had a bowl of hot soup spilled over in his lap. If you don't factor in the potential, you are going to be on the wrong side of it. And it's same with words. So just look here on this uh, sheet right here in 15.1. It says this. Look, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. I want you to know this. Words are powerful. And here's what I mean. Words are stronger than anger. But in the same vein, this word, word right here says that you know, words are stronger than peace. Look here at the next one. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Words are stronger than anxiety and its causes. 29.5, a person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruins. Words are deceptive. Words are stronger than your intuition and ability to perceive what's right or wrong. Words are strong. They're not just, they're not just words, right? Words are either an antidote or an accelerant. Both of those things mean this. Words seem like nothing until they interact with something or someone. Oil can soothe burns or it can start fires. Your words can calm conflict or your words can be the cause of it. It's so powerful that it can do the both. It can do both of those things at the same time to the same person in the same moment. First Samuel 25 tells this story of a guy by the name of David who was going to be king. David, while he was on the run from Saul, found himself in a land where he was protecting this guy named Nabal. That is the Hebrew word for fool. So as he protects this guy, David goes to try to ask this, this guy for help. Hey, I've protected you for years. Can you just give some help for me and my guys? Nabal insults David. David tells his crew, hey, guys, strap up. We're going to kill everybody. (laughs) On his way to go kill Nabal and the rest of his crew, Abigail, his wife, comes out. And what she says is, hey, David, chill out. My husband lives up to his name. You don't want to kill him because that's going to be on your conscience. God is getting ready to make you king. You don't want to sleep with that. David, chill. And do you know what he does? He stops. Words 
are stronger than peace, but they're stronger than anger. That's the potential that we have in words. Words are stronger than anxiety. Anxiety, here's what it is. It is severe emotional distress that comes when you lose or you fear that you're going to lose something that's important or vital to your life. So it comes when you think, I'm going to lose my job, or I've lost my job, and now I have to tell my wife that I lost my job. I've lost my house. I've lost reputation. I've lost respect. All of these things that, are, that we feel are vital to our identity and our well-being, and anxiety can weigh down on us and cause these seasons of depression. And what God's Word says right here is that words can be more powerful than that, not to solve it, but to give people the courage to face it in at least one or two ways. One, it can be corrective, that our words can come in and say, hey, You built your identity on something that you were bound to lose. You built it on money. And that goes. You built it on people that will fail you. You built it on a reputation that will be eclipsed by somebody else's. And words at times can correct us and, and help us to see things rightly. More powerfully, though. What people need more often when they're facing anxiety is not words of correction, but words of comfort. Because what they fear in the loss of a job, what we fear in the loss of a job or reputation or status is I'm going to lose the love of the people that I think I bought by having all of these things. And what a healing thing it is to say, hey, you may have lost your job, but you haven't lost me. Hey, you may have lost this thing that you thought was the source of your life, but you haven't lost me. That's what God does to us in Christ. Hey, I know you said that you weren't going to do it again, and you thought that you needed to perform to keep my love, but you may have lost your perfect record, but you haven't lost my love. Words are stronger than anxiety, y'all. But they stick. Words are value statements that are stapled to our souls. We can't shake them. But they actually have the power to change things, to change the way that we live our lives. Families are started through words. One year ago today, I was in Kentucky with Raven and Kellum that are sitting right here on the front row. And they exchanged vows. And they said, I do. And I said, I pronounce you Husband and wife, and through those words, family started. But listen to the potential that lies in words. In courtrooms all across the world that we live in, there are people that come in and say, I don't, at least not anymore. Families and. Twelve years ago, I remember sitting in the courtroom while somebody from my church, their dad was on trial. And when the judge hit that gavel and said the words guilty, when people that were in the crowd came up and offered these impact 
statements to tell them what they did. So it's not just enough for them to be sent away. They have to be loaded with the burden that they caused us. You saw a family crumble. Words are powerful. There's a great potential that lies in words. And if we don't know the potential, we're going to be on the wrong side of it. And we're going to treat words as just words. But it's not just the potential that we have to know. I think we have to know the problem that lies with words. That's point two. The problem with words. That if words are like airplanes, what you find out is that In a lot of crashes, the problem is not with the airplane. The problem is with the pilot. Look here at all of these verses, 15-2, right? It's not just words, but it's the tongue of who? The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. The tongue of the righteous is pure silver. It's worth something. But the heart of the wicked is of little value. Right there at contrast, tongue and heart. Right? So to help us see this, look. Tongue is, uh, it's what's used here. It's called uh, metonymy. And what that is is when you take something and you mean for it to symbolize something else. So tongue is used to talk about not just your mouth, but our speech. Heart is used to talk about not just the organ that pumps in your chest, but really the cockpit of our lives. So what this is trying to help us see is this. Look, your words, or um, your heart is the thing that produces your words, and your words are what project what goes on in the heart. So we tend to spend all of our time on Plain maintenance. Good words, bad words. I don't want to say these bad words. I'm trying to say these good words. And the Bible says it goes so much deeper. It's like a Russian uh, nesting doll, right? Where we think that it's words, but you pull it up and it's like, oh, it's not words. It's a person. And then you pull that up and, oh, it's not that person. It's their heart. It's what controls them. And you pull up that heart and you say, oh, it's not just their heart. It's what they worship. What our words do is they tell the story of our heart. And what our heart does is it tells the story of what we worship. And so what you and I find out is that when it comes to the power of words, the most important thing is not how powerful the words are. The most important thing when it comes to power is who has control of that power. Look here at 12 verses 18 and it says this. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What that's saying is if you're sick and you're in a room and you're lying on on a bed in a sick room and a man walks in that back door with a knife. What's more important than a man with a knife is if that man is a drunk or if he's a doctor. Words are sharp. What's more important than good and bad words is who's wielding those words. Does that make sense? 
And the way that we wield our words is determined by what it is that we worship. That when we speak, our words say more about the sender than they do the receiver. Our words say more about the speaker than they do the hearer. Our words are how you and I hear our hearts. What Proverbs is trying to get at when it talks about words is that our words are how we hear our hearts. Look, this is why an all-knowing God asks people questions. Not because he needs to know anything else, but so that when he asks them, their words speak and their words incriminate them or their words encourage them because there's deep-seated belief and trust that they've had in God that they did just not, that they just didn't know was there. So I think what this helps us see is this. You can trace your words to your worship. You trace your words and you'll find out what it is that you really worship. Sometimes we're so quick when we say things to say, I didn't mean to say that. And what we do is we add words on the words that we did to explain away the words that were said. But if our words help us hear our hearts, then you and I should assume that when the words come out of our mouth, our words are telling the truth. And instead of more words to explain them away or to try to erase them, we should use our words and our thought and write them down and trace what our hearts were saying about what it is that we worship. And here's the best way to do this. Ask yourself these questions. Who in your life gets your best words? Who in your life gets the kind, the gentle, the soft, the loving? Is it those that can offer you something? Is it those that you need things from? Are you very sharp and truthful with everybody else in your life? Except for maybe your boss. Except for maybe somebody that you're trying to get their approval. And so instead of being sharp and truthful, what matters most is approval. So people that you want it from, you tone down the sharpness and you flatter. Who in your life gets your genuine apologies? Who in your life gets the worst of your words? Is it people not that you need things from, but people that need things from you? Could it be your kids at the end of a rough day when you're tired and you just feel like, I just wish that y'all would think about me. I say that to let you know, listen, the same truth works in reverse, y'all. That as we come and as we think about our words, we don't have to be weighed down by the bad ones, but we can think of ways that God has actually changed it, right? This same truth works in reverse. When you can, for those of us that have put our faith in Christ and have changed there was probably a point in time in your life where somebody cut you off or disrespected you. What mattered most to you was getting the respect of people, but now you don't need it. 
And you surprise yourself by the way that you don't respond in kind. It's okay to look at those words. It's okay to look at ways that you've grown and be encouraged by what God has done in your life. That the Bible is not just here for us to look at the ways that we failed and lament how we don't live up. It's meant for those of us to see, look, no, no, these are ways that we've grown. That if you've grown in those ways, or if you've seen somebody that has grown in those ways, you can use your words to encourage them. Proverbs helps us see, look, y'all, words have great potential. They've got great power. What's more important than their power is the pilot. And the pilot is controlled by what it is that they worship. And that's why sometimes it's so hard for us to get control of our words and change our words. Because we spend so much time on the words and not enough time on the worship. And then when we spend time on the worship, we, we do the wrong thing. We put all of our thought on things that we shouldn't worship and we beat ourselves up and we try to work really, really hard to change things all the while ignoring the God that we should worship. So here's the solution. Here's how you fix worship problems. You replace what you worship with something better. So here's point three. The purpose of words or the pioneer of words. We change what we worship by finding something better and staring at it until our hearts are completely changed. Look here at 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. We set our eyes on a God as it talks about these words. It talks about the potential that words have, the problem is with the pilot and not the words itself. And then chapter up, up to 15 and verse 3 gives us a picture of God who is standing back watching all these words go back and forth. And he's not just watching, but he's weighing all of these words. He's making an assessment. He's making this assessment because there is a standard. There's a purpose. There is a right way to use Words. There is a reason for which words are created. Look here at verse 813 and it says this. Look, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And God says this, that he hates arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. What a perversion is, is a deviation from the original intent of speech. So in order to know what speech was created for, it's best for you and I to go to God's word and look at the first instances of speech. And what you find is that you don't have to go very far because your Bible starts with words. And not just words from a narrator about what God has done. Your Bible starts with God using words. And he uses words to create the world. He doesn't just wave his hand. He uses words to help you and I see that what God wants is relationship. What God wants is for you and I to be able to relate to him. And this is why God gives you and I words. It's those that are made in his image. 
God has a power with words that he translates and gives to us so that we can know him and be known. Do you know why you speak words? You speak because you want to be known. You want somebody to know you. The people that you don't want to know, what do you do? You don't speak. God gives us words because at the end of the day, he's made us to want to be known. And then God gave us ears because words need to be spoken to us because do you know what else you want? You want to be known, but you need to be loved. It's not enough just to make yourself known to a bunch of folks. You need to hear those words from somebody else saying, I love you. You're worth something. You're mine. You are the number one thing in my life. Think of people that never hear those words. What do they spend their life doing? Chasing after trying to get it. In, in jobs or in men or in women or in money. Accomplishment. People that have it, there's a security that comes from from it. Some people hear the words, I love you all the time, but it doesn't do them any good because they know that the person that spoke those words is unreliable and and untrustworthy. Do you know the reason why God starts off the Bible and starts with words and creates the world with words and says, let there be light and it's good? So that you and I see there's no distance in between God's words and his actions. God's words aren't abstractions. God's words are concrete, which means that you can rely on every one of them. So everything that God says about himself is true. All of what he says about you is true, that you were made with dignity, regardless of what anybody else says about you. That you were made with purpose, regardless of what anybody else. That you were made to be loved and prioritized and cherished. That you were made to be his. But do you know what it requires? Faith. God's words. At least how you and I have experienced them. May talk about the now, but they're future oriented. So the Bible starts off and God gives Adam these words. And then God gives him these sharp words of protection. Adam, you're mine. I love you. But don't eat of this tree. If you eat of if you try to go after something else other than me to gain your sense of significance and worth, you are going to crumble. Adam needed to to remember God's words are not abstractions. They're concrete. They are reliable. God's words were made to build and to heal. And then here's what takes place. Somebody else comes in and perverts God's words. He lies. Satan comes in. And what he says, he gives them words. He tries to do what God does. God gave promises, and Satan does too. He just gives false ones. 
And then we have a choice. Which ones are we going to believe? Satan says, hey, I'm going to help you recover something that they never actually lost. And these words of his, that he still speaks to us today. They were stronger than peace. They crushed Adam and Eve. Adam fundamentally changed. And his words were an expression of his heart. God made Adam, blessed him, gave him a wife. Adam wrote the first R&B love song, Flesh of My Flesh, right? (laughs) Then they sin. Shame starts to talk to him. And he believes shame's words. God comes and talks to him. Asks him a question. And what does he do? Eve is no longer an opportunity for him to express his worship of God. She's an obstacle for him getting what he thinks is the acceptance from God that he wants. And instead of Adam blessing his wife, He blames her. He indicts her and indicts God. Instead of this soft answer that said, God, it was my fault to turn away God's wrath from his bride, he gives a sharp answer. Listen, y'all, I want you to hear this. A soft answer is not just about volume. It's about sharpness. And what he does, he incriminates and indicts God. God, it's your fault. You gave me this woman. And the woman that he had an obligation to, that he used his words to bless, he throws her underneath the bus. And his words, through his words, we hear his heart. As we hear our hearts, when we snap it, folks, look at Proverbs 13.3. The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips, invites his ruin. He blurted out a a response to God and invited the judgment of God. And do you know how God responds? Do you know the first thing that he says? It's not a word of condemnation. It is not. Read your Bibles and the first thing that God says after Adam and Eve Blame him and incriminate him. He gives him another promise. He says, listen, I'm going to send somebody else to come here into this world. And they're going to take the punishment that you should have had. But they're going to come out on the other side and God comforts them with a promise. And if you don't think that that's true, keep on reading. And what you'll find out is the very first words out of Adam's mouth after God speaks is it says he looks at his wife. And he calls her Eve. Because she will be the mother of the living. He looks at his wife and he blesses her again. He looks at his wife and before when his words were shaped entirely by the false promises that he was believing and ready to throw her under the bus. He looks at his wife that is undoubtedly gripped by hurt, 
brokenness, shame, and anxiety. And he looks at her and he says what's true about her is what God says about her, not what she did. And we think that would be enough. But what we find out is that people forget. Their children forgot. Their children's children forgot. Their children's 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 forgot. And the whole Old Testament is full of people that are forgetting. God gives his character, his nature in the law or these 10 words of God that help folks see what God is like. And people take it and distort it and think that the better they can perform it, God will love them more. And they neglect the fact that God says, no, I made you my children before I gave you the law so that you know my love is not dependent on how well you keep this law. But people forget. And they continue to forget until God comes in and Hebrews chapter 1 and 3, One helps to see this. It says this, look, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purification for sins. He sat down. He rested. Resting on the promises of God, concrete, at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Jesus, we see the ultimate reversal of Proverbs 13.3. Jesus lived the life And guarded his mouth completely. Never a bad word. Never a wrong word. Never a misplaced or mistimed word. Always a gracious word. Always the precise, perfect word for every response. And all mankind turned their backs on him until they had enough and said, we're tired of turning our backs to you. We want you to turn your back to us. And they flogged him. And they beat him. The one who spoke every perfect word that should have protected his life willingly gave up his life for people that haven't spoken all the right words. He spent his life on earth healing people with his words. Literally. And when he was on the cross just needing a word of comfort to calm him from the anxiety that he faced. God, is it going to be okay? Do you know what he got from God? No words. Silence. Do you know what he got from the people that should have just kept him company while he prayed, filled with anxiety the night before his death? Snores. Nothing. Adam was willing to throw his bride under the bus to protect himself. Jesus was willing to woo a bride, people that he had no obligation for. And while on the cross, what he said was, they did everything wrong. I did nothing wrong. But Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they did. Jesus wanted a family 
And what he knew is that this same God that weighs our words and would judge us for the ways that we've used them wrongly to kill, Jesus would have no family if we all got what we deserved. And so what he said is, God, I want to go into your courtroom of condemnation so that I could bring a host of people into an adoption courtroom so that they could be brought in as sons and daughters and know that they're standing with God. You're standing with the God that created you. Doesn't have to do with how well you perform for him. It doesn't have to do with the track record of how it is that you've used your words. Listen, our words may reveal what's in our hearts, but God's words are the words that heal what's in our hearts. It's God's words being reminded that he'll never leave us or forsake us at times when we feel it's most just to be forsaken. And if you really believe this, this does so much more than just cure you from using bad words. It does so much more than just the old ad, ad, adage, if you don't have an, 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 anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. On the cross, Jesus helps us see, if you don't have anything nice to say, take your words to God. And on the cross, being murdered, he prayed for the forgiveness of us. Those are God's words to you. That there is forgiveness, acceptance, and a security that cannot fade if you and I would just believe God's word to us in Christ. And if we understand the purpose of words, that God's words change people, then what we are free to do now is to learn the perfect use of words. And I'm going to go through this really quick because I've got a little bit of a confession to make at the end. Proverbs 15.4, it says this, The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Here's what you need to know about trees. Um, in order for a tree to blossom, what you need is patience. Patience in the sowing, patience in the reaping. Proverbs 15, 28 says this, The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. If we truly grasp the potential of words, then we're not just going to be reckless in the way that we use them. But you and I are going to be careful how we word our words because words are statements that are stapled to the soul. One of the best ways that we can do this is what's called quadruple think. Think about what you're going to say. Think about what somebody else hear, how they'll hear what you're going to say. Rethink what you're going to say so that they hear what it is that you want them to hear. That we aren't those that are chasing after validation in the blind, so we don't have to just use our words like a shotgun, but with a precision you and I can be patient in how we sow our words, but in how we reap our words as well. Look at Proverbs 28, 23. One who rebukes a person will later find more favor than one who flatters with his tongue. Later. You and I can have the courage to know 
even if I have to say hard things that I think may break the relationship with somebody, but it'll be helpful, I can be reminded that God's words are always true. So even if it temporarily causes pain, I can rest in the fact that eventually God's words will do his work the same way that it did in our hearts. We need to be patient with our words. Proverbs 25, 11. We need to be punctual with our words. A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. Listen, for all of us that are truth tellers in here, timeliness is more important than truthfulness. Timeliness is more important than truthfulness. Truthfulness should never be substituted for timeliness. When people are drowning under the weight of anxiety and shame, in that moment may not be the right time to talk about condemnation. It may be a much better time at that time to talk about comfort. Who God is, what he's like, what he does. We're not going to leave out the hard things, but we just don't have to get to the hard things at the front end all the time. The perfect use of word is patience, punctual. And here's the last thing and the one that I think is the most important for our church right here and right now, and it's this. It should be a platform for the poor. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. In the past week, uh, what took place in Florida is 1.4 million felons were granted the right to be able to vote. And it was all because people that had a right to vote Use their voice for people that couldn't. So now their voice was a platform. And what, what greater picture or platform of the gospel is there? Right? So we're not saying just do that and don't be concerned about the gospel. We're saying, no, no, this is a very real picture and a platform that now when we explain what God has done to us in Christ, how you and I had no standing with God, but the only one who had a voice with God came down and laid down so that you and I could step on his back and have this platform of God. It can make sense. And the reason why I say this, um, especially with this last word, especially where we are, is um, as I spent time this past week, uh, my wife and I celebrated 11 years uh, last week, thank you, um, and I just wanted to end off and apologize to you as your pastor. Um, this was birthed out of a conversation with my wife. Uh, we started off the day, and I was expecting very sweet words of praise from her, because I think I'm a good husband. But I got life-saving words of correction. Uh, initially, I was rubbed the wrong way because she knows me better than and anyone else. So I listened. Um, she asked a question about why I haven't been outspoken on issues of justice. Why I've been largely 
publicly silenced. After becoming defensive, right, I, I went and I started to write down my words so that my heart could be made clear. And here's what I wrote down, and I'm going to read more than I have this whole time. Um, uh, in the past six years since Trayvon Martin was murdered, there's been a heightened awareness conversation of the injustice, inequality, and demonic evil that has plagued and undergirded our country since its inception. Social media has multiplied words about it, and so many of them, I feel, have been unhelpful. They've been unhelpful because there's a lot of them that have been harsh. No thought for the people with a weak conscience that will be burdened. They've been hasty with no thought for the potential and power of words. And I've seen people that I know abandon their faith because of misplaced words of some. They haven't just been harsh or hasty, but they've been haughty. I had to get the uh, alliteration in, prideful. Um, from folks that I know that um, have, in a prideful way, lied about things that have gone on in their lives and created um, yeah, certain platforms. And as I thought about all of those, one of the things that I saw or that I've seen in the past few years that has made me largely unengaged is that for the most part, social media is a good tool but it's also a coward's oasis. It is a place where the healthy fear of conflict is removed. As you don't have to talk to anybody in the eye, so you can be bold and say things that you would never say standing face to face to somebody else. I've had an allergy to that, and I've wanted to be helpful. So much so uh, that I found I've actually been unhelpful. And here's how I've been there. Hasty words, harmful words, and haughty words are all unhelpful. But the Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. Non-words are unhelpful. Non-words allow the wrath to continue and stay. And human wrath is more unhelpful, especially when it goes unaddressed. Especially when it goes unaddressed from the pulpit, y'all. And that's where just me... As your pastor, I have to apologize for the ways that I've, uh, I haven't accounted for the potential and power that lies in words to actually move and change things. So much so that I'm grateful for the work that God has done here in our church, but I feel like that there's so much more, y'all. There's so much more that God has for us, especially in issues that relate to being the tangible hands and feet of God. When we come in week in and week out, and we are a room full of people, as Richard talked about weeks ago, there's no other group here in the West End that has the time, the collective time, talent, and resources to affect change. And what I found out is the thing that's missing has not been a willingness but it's been words. Proverbs 31.8 helps us see this. Look, words of justice, these just words are never just words. 
They're the starting point. And much good and potential lies in you and I not shirking from those things, but addressing them head on from God's word in the scripture. And so I just want you to know that no more as your pastor who at the end of the day, I'm grateful that we have a diverse church here. But I want you to know being a Christian is the most important thing about me. But I am also a black man. And that is very important. And there are things that pull at my heartstrings that for the sake of weak sheep being misled, I think what I've found or what I've seen is that willing and worried and weighted sheep have not been led well. So we want to start and use God's words for healing and speaking to very broken things in the place that we live in. And lest you think that we're going to wait until next week to talk through it, we or not. One of the things that we are preparing to do here in the life of this church, and you'll hear more about it from a few folks here in this church two weeks from today, is how we want to be a tangible expression of voice to people that are voiceless. And one of those groups are people that are voiceless because they haven't learned how to talk yet. And those are kids that are involved in the foster care system. So two weeks from today as a church, we're going to talk about that and we're going to embrace it. And one of the ways that we said that we're going to start off is we want to hear about people that have been burdened to start that, but just don't know what to do, that are weighed down by anxiety. I don't know how this is going to take place. And if you feel like God has placed that on your heart, then we want to hear words from you. And we want to do our best to surround you with people and the resources that can assuage all the, the worry that you have there. And we're going to trust that words, something as simple as those words and a call for us to be involved, to care for those that have no home, that have been told all their lives that they have no dignity, that have been weighed down, that are set up on a pathway to jail, sex trafficking, or death. We're going to speak God's words to them. We're going to live our lives in a way where we can take care of them. And we'll see just how effective words can be. I want you to know, y'all, your words carry lifelong influences or lifelong consequences. None of us are powerless to affect change. Your words are not just words. There's so much more. And when God heals the heart of the pilot of those words, they can fly, take off, and bring lots of healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we're grateful for your word to us in Christ Jesus. That we who had no standing with you, 
now don't have to use our words to defend ourselves and to call you a judge, but we can use our words to show you our affection and call us and call you Father. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to live our lives, bringing other people into that same relationship. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.